All right, welcome to this episode of our show, True Data Ops. I'm your host, Kent Graziano, the Data Warrior. In each episode, we're going to bring you a podcast covering all things related to data ops and the people that are making data ops what it is today. If you've not yet done so, be sure to go look up and subscribe to the dataops.live YouTube channel, because that's where you're going to find all the recordings of our past episodes. So if you missed any of the past episodes, you always have a chance to catch up. Now, my guest today is Juan Cicada, who's the principal scientist and head of AI lab at data.world. He's the co-host of the popular Catalog and Cocktails, the Honest No BS Non-Salesy Data Podcast. He's also an award-winning researcher, a patent holder, expert on data modeling, knowledge graphs, semantics, and a whole bunch of other stuff that I don't even begin to understand. So welcome to the show, Juan. Well, thank you, Kit. It's such a pleasure to finally have the chance to chat and uh, looking forward to our conversation today. Yeah. Well, you've had quite an exciting career from from what I can uh, see. So for those of you who don't know about your background, uh, give us a little bit of that background and especially give me a little bit about um, what you all do over there at data.world. Yeah. Um, so I like to say I carry two hats. I carry my academic scientific hat and also my industry hat. So I did my undergraduate and my PhD in computer science at the University of Texas at Austin. Uh, and I've always been involved in the areas of data integration. Uh, but I mean, specifically about using semantics and now what we call knowledge graphs. Uh, so a lot of my PhD was about being able to go map relational databases to graphs and be able to do all the query engine and optimizations. And actually started a company out of that called Capcento. This is like probably 2014, but we're doing all, all this semantic data virtualization. Uh, and effectively, I partnered up with Data.World when Data.World started to get into the enterprise around 2019, called the company Data.World. And and we've been very much aligned on how the world needs to manage data and metadata at scale. So data.world, we're an enterprise data catalog platform, uh, and we're built entirely on a knowledge graph uh, architecture. Uh, and for data catalogs, just metadata management systems, where we focus kind of on, on three areas. One is on the cataloging, on just bringing in all your metadata for search and discovery. The second is for data catalog, for data governance. And the third one, which is going to be topic today, is for data ops too. So we, we love... We collaborate a lot with you all, and I think data ops and like data lineage and other types of um, kind of apps that we that we provide on top of our our platform. So that's a little bit about very quickly about me and what we do at Data World. Oh, great, thanks. So uh, you know, we'll start off with the the obvious question. So from your perspective and and your experience and all, what do you, how do you define data ops, and you really where do you see it fitting into the this ever-evolving data landscape that we've got going these days. Yeah. So I, I think what's important is to step back for, for a bit and realize, I mean, if, if you look at like those uh, those big uh, uh, data and AI landscapes, right? I think Mac Turk has all this stuff, which is just every year just gets bigger and bigger and bigger, right? Yeah. Well, if you look at that, my perspective is that there's three main principles that have survived the test of time since the beginning of just data management. You move data, you store and compute data, and you use data, right? right. Now, move data, it was ETL, and now it's ELT, it's batch, and now it's streaming. You're just moving data, right? And then there's all these pluthers of different types of tools. Storage and compute, right? This was a database. This is a data warehouse. This was a, a data lake, a lake house. Still store and compute things. And then you got to use that data. You have business reporting. You have dashboards. We have AI. We have LM. Just using that data. 
So these are the three things that have happened. Uh, those principles have survived the test of time, just called them different things. And what has happened, I think, in the last far you last five years, uh, a topic that hasn't been kind of upfront, uh, hasn't been a first class citizen, is the one of metadata. And I think metadata is like that layer on top, which effectively what what we're seeing has been just kind of uh, that one layer that you call metadata over all these things that get connected have been turned into I don't know 10, 15, 30 different categories, features, whatever. So all of that to say that because you have these main these main, three main pillars, right? You move data, you store data, you store compute data, and you use data. The whole data ops for me is just like, well, things flow across all those different pillars, right? Right. Yeah. And and making observations of what exists and what moves and and how it moved and when it moved and who let it move, that's all metadata across it. So the whole data ops is really just making sure the the light. Just I just want to know the operations, the life blood of my data and how it's going and and where did it go and and this did it get there on time and 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 what changes are being made and so forth. So I think the data ops is just all that metadata that goes to tra traverses all those three different pillars of of moving data, storing compute data, and using data. Yeah, no, that's interesting because what you're describing to me reminds me of uh, you know back in the late '90s, early 2000s, Dr. Claudia Imhoff coined the phrase "corporate information factory." And it had all that in that. It kind of broke it out that way. It didn't, as you said, the terminology has changed because back then we really mostly talked about data warehouses. Uh, but she had a metadata layer in there. And I think that it blew everyone's minds. It's like, what is that? You know, we go, oh, it's data about data. Well, nobody really understood what that meant. We just said, oh, it's data about data. And you just described, you know, a little more of how important that is. You know, if we're going to move all this data and use it, yeah, we have to know what's going on. Um, and now today, of course, we have the the concept of what data observability, right? That falls into that too. And that's another one of those metadata things, right? Exactly. I mean, I mean, to, to be a little bit, the honest no BS here is like, there is that metadata layer on top. And I think uh, as, a, as an industry, as you said to yourself, like people, small amount of very smart people were realizing that this metadata thing is something that we need to go, that, that we need to focus on. But- just kind of in the '90s and 2000s stuff, where we were just focused on 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 doing things with data, and then things like big data come around, and then NoSQL, like that, that changes the conversation. But I would say that now, kind of end of 2000, 2010s, like early 2020s, um, metadata started to get like more interesting because people realized also it's like all these problems that I'm having. Why am I having these problems over and over again? It's like because we just lack in the metadata. Now we've kind of hit ourselves against the wall so many times and people, some people, more people start realizing, oh, that metadata thing. And then, I mean, history always shows us that pendulum swings to one side, right? So right. one time we had just metadata and then that metadata swung. It's like, well, there's actually 30 different things about metadata. We can call it all. And then we'll just go find it, right? We'll just go find the nice thing. It's history. History tells us. Yeah. Yeah. So um, since you're head of the AI lab there at, at data.world and you're doing all this research, yeah, where do you see AI really playing a role in managing and getting getting well, most importantly, really getting value from the data, as you say, using the data? Yeah, where where does AI come in? So I think there there's two things that has to be done. There's two things that AI comes in. But uh, first of all, I think now with the whole hype of of specifically generative AI, I think it's 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 a fact of life that this AI future is already here. Basically, this it's an inedible future. Uh, and number one, the productivity gains 
that we are seeing across so many different use cases is, is now a fact of life. So I always tell everybody, if you're not using Jitterative AI, LLMs, ChatGPT for your day-to-day life, uh, you are being basically an idiot. You're missing opportunities to just be massively productive. So AI is not taking your job away. Somebody who is using AI very effectively will take your job away. So that means there's two things we, we can apply it to. One is how can I use AI, these large language models and stuff, to improve the way I manage all my metadata, do all my governance. Like this is the type of so I want to use. How can I be more productive around these things? So you can start like even from simple things to like help me uh, uh, help me come up with descriptions of things, right? Help me identify uh, where 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 PII could be. Actually, it's pretty fantastic. You just give it schema information, no data, and it will tell you great, pretty accurate. Like these things may have it without even looking at data, right? Like, assuming, assuming you actually had somewhat rational table and column names, right? Yeah, but 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 still, like this is something you should go test and try it out, right? <laughs> They're just different. So I think what I tell people is that start looking at the, the current tasks that you have and say, well, what can I go do today to figure out how I can optimize, make it faster and use these tools for it? So making the management of the metadata one is 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 kind of is, uh, one of the tasks how we use AI. Now, at the end of the day, metadata data, like this is just a means to win it, right? Effectively, what we want to be able to go do is generate what what, what, what now people are starting to call called AI ready data. I've actually previously called this as beautiful data. It's like data data you look at and you're like, oh, I understand what this means. I can like I can I can I I know exactly what this means. I know how to go use it. And if I don't, I know who to go talk to. Like that is like your that's why it was called beautiful data. Like this is your AI ready data, such that you can then go do more things now that you've prepared and done it, created your data. I, Data product should be, should be another way of calling this AI. Yeah. So then you're going to start using AI to go use this type of data. Now, I think uh, one of the main applications that people are using uh, this AI, these large language models, is for chatting, having a chat interface, because that can really um, kind of just be, ex make this data much more accessible. And uh, I think one of the things I like to call out is that with this whole chat interface, there's two parts. All, when you go search on any just go on the web right now. Anybody's talking about all the blogs. It's really about unstructured. It's about text. But I'm like, wait a minute. What about your data that is stored in 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 your in your favorite cloud data warehouse or whatever that has millions of rows and tens of not hundreds of of tables? Like, what are you gonna do with that? I think that's the open question. That's the stuff that I'm interested in. That's a lot of the research that we've been doing on knowledge graphs and how we can improve the accuracy using knowledge graphs for that. Yeah, because even uh, Snowflake. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we just did their, had their world tour and then their snow day. They announced this thing um, called, I think it's Copilot, which is kind of a chat interface inside of Snowflake for writing queries. But I assume there's got to be a lot behind that to make that really work well, because I, I know that, you know, when I dealt with data vaults, one of the big questions around data vault is like, there's so many tables. How are we ever going to join that together? And I imagine it's got to be the same kind of thing when you're looking at trying to use a, a chat interface to answer the question of, you know, how many orders did we have in the Southwest region last month that didn't make the profit margin, right? You want to ask that kind of question. That could be a fairly complicated schema if it hasn't been consolidated, made into AI ready. Like you said, if, it, if it's all in one table and it's already there and you've already done the transformations, okay, maybe that's a little easier than if it's a like a data vault model that has hundreds of tables, hubs, links, and satellites, and you've got to traverse all of these joins to have the information 
to be able to get an accurate answer through a LLM type interface, right? So it's got to be a challenge. So this is exactly the challenge. I mean, I think people are, people have acknowledged this is a challenge, right? And I think, first of all, if we go back to like text to SQL type of approaches on the whole question answering has been kind of one of the goals of computer science back since it's the beginning of computer science since the 60s. You can see people writing about this stuff and working on these things. And, and then text to SQL, like through the 90s, has always been a very important thing. And then obviously LLMs have made that much more kind of exciting and much more approachable. Now, I think everything you look at is in all the toy, toy examples, frankly, right? It's like, oh, here's this one or two table that have this question that generate right. demos very nicely. Uh, and actually, all the academic benchmarks that does this use very simple tables. And all, But here's the other thing. It's not just about the, the the schemas. It's also about the questions that you want to go ask. If you like, uh, yeah, because do I need to have a chat interface where I'm really just doing a select from? Like, no, that it's when things get more complicated. So this is one of the reasons. So this was like, this is the stuff that was like keeping me up at night. Uh, and actually, I, I mean, I'll, I'll be very honest here. Like the folks at Snowflake, and this was like during the summer, we were at Snowflake Summit and we were just talking to a lot of the product teams at Snowflake and we're like saying, hey, LLMs, knowledge graphs, like you need this, you need the accuracy, you need the context, the metadata that, that knowledge graphs can have to improve this. And they're like, yeah, we get it, but how does this actually look like? And and, and what would a benchmark look like? So they actually inspired us to actually do a benchmark. And that was the work that we just did. And effectively, you what you want to go do is say, I want to go define this semantic layer, this knowledge graph that actually talks the language of my business, but also I connect it, do the transformations, mappings back to the source. Like, so then I abstract all those all those tables and joins to that. And and I do this work, right? I have to, I have to invest in doing all that metadata work. And right. what we saw through all the results now is that you do, if you invest in knowledge graphs, the accuracy of question answering is like 3x more than if you don't do it at all. That's uh, that's using a knowledge graph. Using a knowledge graph where you've actually invested in treating metadata as a first-class citizen, right? Semantics. Mm -hmm. That's the whole point. I mean, what I really, if I go back, like what I really want to push out uh, the message is invest in metadata. Like this is critical. What I mean, it, and, and then if you want to have all these chat interfaces over your structured data, Invest in metadata. You got to and, and do it well. Not don't do it in an ad hoc way. Like you really need to start thinking about your metadata management system. Think about how the data moves. How your data. I mean, this is why I think like things like data ops and and all the metadata. This is critical. And, and this is how we're going to really take it to the next level. Otherwise, it's just going to be another pendulum swing from one side to the other. Yeah, and let me see. Let me put it in other terms. It's like you're really talking about investing in. Well, I think we also call you know business semantics and ontologies, right? Right? Yeah, because it's from a business person. You start talking about metadata, they're like eyes are going to roll in the back of their head. But if you start talking about business terminology, and I think back when I started in in data, you know, we did entity relationship conceptual models, and a lot of times those got disconnected from what ended up in the database. Bingo. What we're really talking about is keeping it connected, right? Bingo. Bingo. Right? bingo, bingo, yes. bingo. So I like, like 100% you nailed it, right? And it, by the way, everything I'm seeing here is not new. Like we're using, I'm calling, I'm using knowledge graph, which is like the popular term actually popularized by Google, but effectively you're doing exactly what you just said, creating these conceptual models, right? And making sure it's always connected to the data. So these conceptual models, these semantic models, these semantic layers, these ontologies, effectively they're all the same. And then you want to keep it connected and that, that's your higher level abstraction, right? 
This is something that you should be able to go dry it on the whiteboard and the CEO should go look at it and they have come make understands completely. And we can sit down and have discussions around that beautiful, that's why I call it beautiful, a beautiful model. Now it is an abstraction layer over all that technical stuff. And you need that and to connect the abstractions are these mappings, these transforms. I mean, I think computer science is all about levels of abstraction and compiling things down. Right. So we've been doing this stuff, but but we've been doing this stuff forever. But what happens is that you direct and find your model, right? Your conceptual model, and then you say generate my SQL DDL, and then I do that, and I forget my conceptual model that stays in a nice PDF picture that get you. That was the PDF picture that I printed out three years ago, and uh, probably it's no longer valid. It's sixty percent of it overlaps, or if you're lucky, right? Or fifty percent of what is today. Um, so what I like to I, I like to call this the the crawl, walk, and run. So the crawling step is is folks realizing I just need to do like traditional metadata management. Like what tables do I have? What dashboards do I have? How is it? Where the ETL just go make all this flow? Just basically understand the, my current infrastructure. I mean, that's your catalog, right? That's your catalog. That's your technical metadata catalog. That's the first step. You need to go do that. That's what I'm going to call eat your vegetables. Second, once you do that, by the way, inside of your eating your vegetables, you should also be cataloging your your business terminology, your business glossary terms. And then you start getting to like, oh, I need to be AI ready. Like AI ready data means, wait, you have these terms. Oh, orders, customers. So customers place an order. Okay, order or line, products. What are our products? Oh, do that. Okay, I get this. How do I find which orders, uh, what products are part of which order lines? Oh, well, I have to join these two tables, but I can join them on this column or in these two columns, on these three columns. Like I get different, like which is the right one? Well, this is the one we have to go figure out. Well, now, now you're talking about a data model. Yes, these are all data. Models. I mean, I'm not saying anything new no. here. I'm just kind of articulate. This is, the, but that's the second piece. That's the walk, like the walking piece. Oh, now we're now we're starting to connect. This is what the user, the end users want. By the way, I should also be cataloging like the business questions. Like, oh, right. you're, using these, you're, you're using this dashboard. Okay, why are you using this dashboard? Because I'm trying to answer these questions. Oh, let's make sure that I know those are the questions that you care about because. Those are the questions that are helping us make money, helping us save money, helping us mitigate risk. And that's how I know that the work, the data work I'm doing is actually contributing to shareholder value. So then you generate, understand the data, you generate AI, that AI ready data. And now you can really say, oh, I want to chat with my data and blow that stuff. Now you can go into like the, the the running phase of like, let's go do let's do the cool stuff with the data. But you need, to, you need to crawl before you walk and walk before you run. So that's why your traditional kind of seems like a boring, but this is the foundation of your metadata work. Eat your vegetables. And uh, here's the other thing. Metadata, as I said, it's just all connected. And that's why it's a graph. Right. And, and, and I mean, you say it's, yeah, it's, it's nothing new, really. You know, it's got to have a good foundation, which now turns out, yeah, you need a good business model, which is the semantic model. You need a good technical model. So you understand you know, what, like you said, what columns are you joining on? But that has to be exposed as metadata if you want to make it AR ready so that, you know, you can do something like a chat interface and get an answer to a reasonable question on metrics or something that the CEO, like, I need to know this and I need to know this now. That information has to be there. So that's your eat the vegetables is, is make sure that you've put all that information in place. Um, unlike what we did in the early days of big data, and data lakes where we just dumped all this data out there in files with no context, right? And then hope that the, the poor data scientist, you know, you were probably one of them out there is like, now you want me to make sense of this pile of data. 
with no context, no metadata, no semantics, no ontology, that's a much harder ask. And so getting to be AI ready means really, you know, like you said, eat your vegetables, do all that stuff up front, set the foundation. Now we have a shot at being more efficient and getting more value out of the data. But you know, like you said, walk before you run. Exactly. Ow. Yeah. Okay. We're aligned. That's nice. That's nice. Yeah, we are <laughs> completely, completely aligned on that. And that's, that's when one of the conversations I've had, I'll say probably for the last two years, once this AI stuff started getting ready, it's like, I don't know how you can do it without a data model. There has to be, you know, if you want to call it metadata, great, call it metadata, the relationships between the data, but for the AI to be able to answer questions asked by a human, the data has to be understandable in human terms. And that's to your semantics and ontologies, using the business terminology. Yeah, like you said, yeah, we've, uh, we've been talking about this in the industry for you know 30 plus years. I think now that we're getting down to the AI, it, the AI things are becoming real. We've seen the power of things like chat GPT. Now we can get, you know, I'll say the, the business aspect of this, the business people rather than the technical people are now starting to get it. Because as we know, as technologists, we can only, you know, basically build what we're funded to build, right? And a lot of, a lot of us technologists, we, we can't talk real, really well to the business to explain, well, why do I need to build a knowledge graph, Right. They don't need to know that we're building a knowledge graph, but you got to be able to explain something to them to get the funding to actually get the team, get the software, whatever it is you need to actually build it so that the data is usable. By and, and what we're seeing right now is that at the boardroom level, there's basically two conversations when it comes to technology investments, cybersecurity and AI, right? So then you mean that you need to go translate kind of your, your the work that you want to go do to how is it going to help for AI? And when it comes to like all our work here on and metadata management, data ops and all this stuff, it's like, wait, we want to do AI. You need to have AI ready data. And what we're seeing right now, and I have like, I have evidence right now, like here's this paper, here's the evidence. Yeah. You want, and you, by the way, as a C-suite, don't you want to make sure you have accurate data or as much ac as accuracy as possible? Like, well, here's the evidence you need to invest in knowledge graphs to go do this. It means that you need to treat your metadata, your semantics, your business context of first-class citizens. So if you want to be able to have AI, you need to invest in knowledge graphs because here we've got proof. We have now results that this is going to be improved the accuracy, which is what you want. So this is kind of the conversation. This is actually also one of the motivators to like really help people have that evidence to say, let's go. We need to fund our metadata management work, our governance work and everything. Here's the reason why. AI ready data so you can be AI because that's what you want. You want to have the AI. That's where the investments are right now. Yeah. So where do you see the role of automation playing in all of this? You know, AI driven automation for data ops and DevOps and data modeling is, you know, yeah. and where does that come in? So so like we're doing all this work so we can do so then we can have all this AI ready data so it can do things, right? Now, as you say yourself, we need as you said and I'm saying here, we need to now invest in building these knowledge. You need to invest in metadata. Like that's work to be done. Now, what we really need to figure out is like, okay, I've, I've, I've been convinced I need to invest in it. Now, how can I reduce the cost of that investment? And that's where the automation will come in. Yep. Now, again, I think what it's really important, and, and I, I pause and I caution people when they say, well, this isn't, this isn't correct. This isn't always perfect. They may hallucinate. It's like, 
But what calm down, like the goal here is not to fully automate. The goal here is to make me more make users, people more productive. So if I says it gets at 80% of the right, gets at 50, if it gets to be 20%, that's better than zero. Right. Hell, we're getting more productive. So that is the way to go see this. So I always caution people like, well, well, this thing hallucinates. Like, yes, it does. It doesn't mean that you're, it's, your, it's your autopilot completely. You will be involved. And then it's going to just take, you're going to be more productive. So that's the way to go see these things. And what I, what I, I think, what I, it, and again, it will also be very careful. Don't just go off and vendors will say, oh, RT, our, our tool has all this stuff. Like, that's what you got to call BS on these things. Like, what you right. really need to do is understand your current processes about how you accomplish a task. I go, I do A, then B, then C, then D, blah, blah, and I, I, I go back to this. Like, you have to understand your processes right now, understand who's involved, how long does it take. Like, this is, be very, very, create a framework around it, be very fundamental about this, and then say, okay, where is the part that, that costs the most, meaning that it spend more time in more people? Now, how can I use some particular automation for that particular task or that particular group of people are doing things? So here's an example. We wanted to talk about data model. Okay. So um, first of all, like it's freaking amazing. Go to ChatGPT and say, create a data model and stuff. It will generate something. It will not be 100% correct. I don't know. Let's say 50%. It's better than starting from zero, right? So I do that. How about you start asking people, what questions are they trying to ask? So let's say you use this that I know which are the most important dashboards and say, what are the questions you're trying to go ask? Literally have them write them down those questions. Now... Actually, pass this pass this to to ChatGPT. Say, given the following questions, what would be a data model that could uh, that 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 would that would represent all these questions? That's already a great way to go start. Yeah, like things smart things like small things like that. Because before that, you would just be doing them kind of in vacuum based on your experience. And then I, I think there's so much opportunity, and this is why it's always a people process technology. Understand your process today, right? <laughs> Then understand who's doing what, and then figure out what technology can go help the people to make the uh, the process better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you jumped to one of that was one of my other questions, and it's like, yeah, it's it starts with people and processes because if you don't understand the people and their skills, you don't understand the processes that you need to automate. It doesn't matter what the technology is, right? It's it's the old, you know, if all you have is a hammer, everything's a nail. But if that's not what you need, then it really doesn't do you any good. You're just wasting your money. And what we really are looking for is how to improve our time to value with this data and get, and when we talk about value, we're talking about business value as defined by the business, not by the technologist. It's like, oh, isn't this cool? We've got 200 petabytes of data and we can scan it all and scan all these documents. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? We can do it really, really fast. Yes. But why are we doing it? Why are we doing it? I think we need more curiosity. We also need more empathy. And I think also we need more, what I've always been calling out, more business literacy. People being able to go understand how the business works to figure out how the work uh, actually makes an impact. And therefore, that's why we need people to ask more why and why and why around this stuff. This is the, And I think also you, you, you said it clearly too. It's We've been looking at this from a very technical perspective. And my, my personal perspective is that we've shifted the pendulum for the last basically forever, I mean, mainly for the last 20 plus years to the technology side. We've, we've looked at data management as a technical phenomena. The tech problem, it's, a, it's a technical problem to go solve. That's why it ends up being in the, in the IT side, right? Oh, you're a cost center and stuff. 
But what it really, we need to swing that pendulum back and it's a social technical phenomenon that we need to look into. We've really ignored the people and process side. And I think at that moment, when we start doing it, we actually start seeing that, oh, this is actually driving value. These are the people involved. And then then actually we're not just a cost center. Then we can become more of a profit center doing things with that. I think this is this is the pendulum that, that needs to swing. We've just been on one side and technology side and and, and that's that, that's my stick. We got to, yeah. Be more social about the data management problem. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, what's what's next for you, Juan? Uh, you're gonna be. I know you're gonna be day to day Texas in January. Uh, any other conferences, meetups oh, in the next yeah. couple of months where people can find you? Woof. Let's see. I was last week. I was in Greece at the International Semantic Web Conference. I'm actually staying put home for a couple weeks. I first week of December, I will be at DGIQ, the Data Governance Information Quality Conference, that's, and that's in DC. In DC, I'll be there giving a talk on Tuesday, and then I'm taking a train to New York City on Wednesday. I'm the, I'll be at the AI Summit. It's a new conference. I'll be there, uh, and uh, I, I I'm sure there's something else that I'm in, I need to go to, but <laughs> that's what I'll have on my. But and then you then you have this research paper that you just yeah out on, on LinkedIn. So yeah, uh, that research came out uh, that we published together with my colleagues Dean Alamang and Brian Jacob just. Uh, understanding the role of knowledge graphs for uh, accuracy of LLMs for question answering. And we got a lot of follow-up work. We'll be writing a lot of blog posts to really kind of dissect a lot of, of why we're doing this and, and go into a lot of the results and stuff. And a lot of the future work that we're doing too, is like, uh, uh, how can we improve the accuracy here? How can we, we're, work, we're working a lot of methodologies too. What are our playbooks? How do we, mm. what is a playbook to to create AI ready data? And how can we do oh, that? That's a good one. Yeah. And how can we actually use AI ourselves to make sure that we're generating AI ready data? Uh, it, again, people process technology. Yeah. So uh, where, where can folks sign up for your uh, your podcast? Because yeah, I know you do that every week. So that's a yeah, it's, that's uh, a great way to keep in touch with you. You got LinkedIn, right? Obviously, they can find you on LinkedIn. LinkedIn. You can probably on, on Twitter, X, whatever. I, I'm going to go around there. Uh, you can, uh, let's see. on our podcast, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, and all your favorite podcasts. I think actually, if you go to data.world slash podcast, you can find it there. Uh, okay, there, that's that's probably the easiest one. Data.world slash podcast. That's right. But, yeah. uh, for Catalan cocktails. And, and, and yeah, we're, we're, on li- we're live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Central. Okay. That's why it's cocktails, right? It's not coffee. It's cocktails at 4 p.m. Yeah. And it's it's happy hour somewhere. It's happy hours. It's the data happy hour. All right. Well, thank you so much for being my guest today, Juan. This was a, a great conversation. I really enjoyed it. Uh, hopefully, I'll get to catch up with you in person at some point. Maybe you know, maybe over in Austin, since I'm not too far away. Um, but yeah, it's been great having you on. So, uh, thank thanks for being here. Um, thanks everyone else for for joining us today on on the live stream. And if you're watching the recording, we appreciate that as well. Be sure to join me again in two weeks, and my guest will be Matt. Aslett, who's the Director of Research and Data and Analytics at Information Services Group at Ventana Research. He's got a very long title. I can't even say all of it. And we're going to actually be talking about some uh, research, a research paper on um, data ops that they just recently came out with. And so we're going to be talking about that. And of course, be sure to go like the replays from today's show and tell all your friends about the True Data Ops podcast. So until next time. This is Kent Graziano, The Data Warrior, signing off for now.